Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. Elizabeth Milovidov, digital parenting coach, and we're talking about parenting in the digital age. We actually, she gave us the topic. She gave us the questions. We were delighted to have her do that. But in fact, it turned out much more interesting than I think we ever could have anticipated. And so we had we were going to talk about how it is to spend so much time in front of a screen like we all have started to do during COVID and, and beyond and to spend so much time evaluating your looks and how could you possibly be a, a teenager and survive this and throw on it like all the social media and all of that. But we did a good job of talking about that in the podcast. So I think instead what we're going to talk about is the idea that no matter how hard, I don't want to give away the podcast, but like there's one topic we cover that no matter how much time we would spend online, we wouldn't get to why this would fall underneath the the, the topic of parenting in the digital age. And so her explanation was about to schools and he- hearing kids talk about it all the time. Like, I don't know, Steph, like, did you feel like how would I ever find that out? Right. And the kids, they certainly wouldn't be like sitting around the dinner table talking about it. So no matter what questions I ask, I would never get to that topic. And, you know, the the topic was about, from my perspective, misogyny. And I want to be I want to be in that conversation with my kids, my boys and my girls. And I want to be in it in a really very real way of things that they're addressing right now. So I don't know. How would we find out? Like my kids are older and, you know, I can ask them stuff now and they, they're they not as resentful. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe they yeah. are. Some, <laughs> yeah, some, right. some, someone will answer. Someone of five will answer. But where would our resources take us where we would be hearing about things we should be bringing up at the dinner table that the news isn't covering it in the way that we would know we should be worried? Yeah. No, I was just sitting here trying to think. It's funny. When I was researching it, I'm like, wait, what does this have to do with teens? I'm looking at article after article. And I'm, sometimes when I'm trying to get them to open up about something, I might say, hey, I heard I was in a Starbucks and I heard these moms at the table next to me. There were never moms at a table next to me, but that was always my line. There were these moms at a table next to me. And I heard them talking about a party in this area or when they'd be like, oh my God, how did you know that? Right. But I wouldn't have even thrown this topic out. There was nothing I could uncover about this that I could even say to the kids, hey, so tell me what you know about Andrew Tate, because I wouldn't have even thought that would enter their world. So (laughs) I'm like scratching my head sitting here thinking like, how would I know that that intersected? I mean, I guess I feel like I wouldn't know. And you feel like you wouldn't know. And so how do we get the people who do know? Like, I imagine the coaches at school know. I imagine the teachers at school know. Maybe. The kids are talking about those things in front of coaches. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's fair. I mean, I've always had the sense that there are people in the school building who know more. It might might be like the librarian or somebody. You know, like, there are people in the school who get to be like a quiet eavesdropper of what's really going on. Yes. And it's it's not the school auditorium. It's more like, you know, in the lunchroom maybe or wherever. Like, how do we find those people to be part of our world and recognize that to do this well, to raise good adults, we need to be part of their equation. I would want to, if I had younger kids, I think I'd want to create some resource group between the parents, the teachers of those kids, and I don't know, maybe the guidance counselor, like where there was some kind of communication going on once a month or something. Hey, checking in with you guys, letting you know. Yeah, almost like an overheard. 
overheard in the lunchroom or overheard in the hallway. Yeah. Might want to ask your kid, what do you know about fill in the blank? Yeah. Anyway, so we've, we're proposing a whole new system of communication for parents. <laughs> and frankly, mostly because I don't think there's any other way to get it. No. I mean, this is so interesting. I mean, I always say this when I think how to say this, where either we're interviewing someone or we're talking about something for work or I'm sitting in a meeting. And I'm like, OK, what did we miss? You know, and sometimes somebody will bring that up. I almost feel like it's like that. Like, what did I miss as a parent? But a teen, unless they're a really atypical teen, is not going to be like, oh, you know what I forgot to tell you? Like they're not going to go, they're not going to lean into the, what did I miss as maybe I would as an adult. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to make it like, oh, kids today, but yeah, but yeah. I think um, they're getting information from so many different places that yeah. we could never follow where they're going. And we wouldn't even know. I mean, even if we knew where they were going, we, they probably know an extra layer of how to get somewhere else. So the only way to do this is to be in conversation with our kids, but sometimes we don't even know. It's something to be in conversation about. Right. That's exactly my point. When I was looking at the Andrew Tate thing, I'm thinking, okay, 35-year-old guy, that's like right between me and my kids. I'm reading, I'm like, you know, sex trafficking. I'm reading all these pieces. I'm like, where's the intersection? You know what I mean? I couldn't find, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it, right? I was looking for it. Like I was, I was geared up to look for it. So like, if you're not looking for like, how are you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do think you're right. I think coaches is an interesting one. I think there it is kind of the overheard in the hallway or I don't know. All right, everybody. Up next is our conversation with Elizabeth Malovidov. I want to say like it is a grand slam of a, of a podcast. We can't wait for you to join us. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week, (laughs) avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Elizabeth Milovadova is Senior Manager of Digital Child Safety at The Lego Group. Her core work involves researching solutions for parenting in the digital age and spreading awareness on Instagram format for parents and TikTok format for young people. You know, the world is so different than when we were kids. And even then, you know, if you have older kids, it just changed so rapidly. And we have this like kind of overarching topic of parenting in the digital age, which like, I don't even know what to put underneath that. So we're going to cover a few different topics with you today, which is so exciting because you gave us the topic. So thank you. And the first one we're going to do is gaming. So 
Can you tell us, like, you know, what's happening in gaming? What should we be worried about? And and actually, you know, what are the strategies for parents to kind of get in there and make a difference? Yes, I love it. So especially since I gave you the questions. <laughs> I know, really. Congratulations. You gave us great questions. Number one guest. No, 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 no. It's just because I really think that all these issues are so important um, and that these are the things that I hear about a lot from parents, right? They're asking about online video games and what can they do and what are they worried about and actually what's happening on online. So I think that first, I mean, depending on what types of games we're talking about, you know, parents always need to be thinking about um, some of the exposure to inappropriate content, exposure to violence, aggressive behaviors, you know, cyberbullying, all of these types of issues that we hear about things, you know, that are happening, you know, all the time, just put them in that sort of online gaming environment and they are there. I also think that one of the things that parents are always thinking about, whether it's, it's you know, Roblox or Minecraft or even some of the older games for kids like Call of Duty, et cetera, they're, they're thinking about predators and they're thinking about, you know, people coming in and talking to their children uh, on the chats and, you know, making friends and then trying to take a conversation offline. And I just think that parents need to to be aware, parents and caregivers, they need to be aware of the risk of online games, of course, and the the benefits, because there are benefits in in online video gaming. There are benefits in in being online in general and technology. But parents do have a role to play in in reducing the risk and increasing those those types of uh, opportunities. So I think you asked me as well, uh, like, what are some of the the strategies? Yeah, I asked you that. And also, I want to say we have a a 20-something working for us. Her social life is so mixed online with gaming and offline with in real life. And she really, she talks about those friends as if they are deep friendships for her. And I, when I say as if, I'm only saying that because the question is, you know, we kind of have this sense as parents that you can't really create community online. And is gaming a place where we're reading that wrong? Yes, you can create community, right? It's just like any other fandom, if you will, right? You know, if we were talking about back in our day, oh, and I'm going to date us. I'm going to date us, Sue. If we're watching Gilligan's Island. We're not Island, the same. We're, oh, yeah. We oh, are Gilligan's yeah, Island. <laughs> we're Gilligan's Island. If we're talking about, you know, all of us getting together and talking about that or going to a mall, I mean, this is the same thing. It's fandom. And it's having those conversations about what you like, what you saw. My goodness, I remember Dallas. Mm. Do you remember Dallas? And everybody was yeah. waiting to find out who she Shot JR. That was a conversation starter, you know, that you had at work, at school, in the, you know, in the office. And so this is the same thing that these online communities and online games can can bring, especially to older, older people. And I do think, and I'm really happy that you mentioned the the, the younger adult community, because I feel like they, they get forgotten in a lot of these conversations, because we always think of online video games and, and keeping children safe, right? And we're talking, you know, under 18s. And we're forgetting the 18 to 25-year-olds who I will call young adults who um, also are, you know, they're doing a lot of crazy things. They're not always using a bit of critical thinking with what they're doing. Same thing when they're using online dating apps. You know, they're not always thinking, you know, who could really be on the on the other end. And that's not any sort of scaremongering. It's just saying, you know, let's use critical thinking as we play, as we communicate, um, you know, always try to have, you know, just some, some thoughts and ideas about who you're communicating with, how much information you're giving them online, how much personally identifiable information 
information you're sharing, you know, and that's it. A game is a game. Uh, and the strategies in there, the gameplay, the relationships can be a lot of fun. But I think they also have to realize as well that sometimes it is just a, a digital relationship and that it's it's kind of like a summer romance, right? You go on a summer, to think of Danny and, and oh no, no, <laughs> I'm really Zuko? dating us for Greece. Danny and Sandra. Yeah, da- yeah, you know, I was. You know, that was that summer. That was that summer. And then when they got together in the real world, it was something different. So it's that sort of thing. Oh my God. Okay, but she changed. She changed for a guy. Terrible story. (laughs) Terrible story. Just the beginning part, Sue. I was just giving you the beginning, okay? I didn't talk about the ending, okay? (laughs) But it is, it's that sort of thing. But I think that really we shouldn't be uh, uh, panicked about online video games, but we do have to recognize um, that, you know, there's, there are some things that are uncool. And I think the best tip, and I'm going to say this for everything that I talk about today, is we really have to have these conversations. Um, We have to talk with our young people. We have to talk with each other. So that way you know what are some of the in things, in words, um, what's happening, uh, et cetera. So... There you go. Excellent. I have one more question there. So we have an article by a mom, and we'll put the article in the show notes. She writes about how she got down and dirty with her kids on the gaming. And she, like, tried to learn all the games they were doing and keep an eye on ones that she felt weren't appropriate. And I read it, and I thought, that is what we talk about all the time, right? Right. And that's amazing. Is that unusual? It's, I was, you said all of the games and I think that that is absolutely incredible and super powerful, but I also don't believe that you have to know every single game and all the features and functionalities um, to be able to parent your child in the digital age. And the reason why I say that is because a new hot game is going to come out tomorrow or the next week or the next week, and you will go crazy trying to learn them all right? And so it's like teaching your children, and I'll use a simple, simple example. It's like teaching them how to cross the street. You are not going to teach them how to cross every single street in your town. You're going to teach them how to cross the street safely. And you're going to teach them how to cross and how not to cross a highway. Like you're not going to go across the highway, but you can cross the street. You can cross where there's stop signs. You can cross where there's red lights. And that's the kind of direction um, that we need to, to be able to give them. I say she's a super mom. I would love to hang out with her. I do not know every single game. I play a heck of a lot of them. I did, especially when my boys were younger. But after a while, it is... I won't say it's always the same thing, but you get an idea. There's going to be chatting. There is going to be frustration in gameplay. There's going to be community. There's going to be some sort of reward. And when you see all of these things, you know, the highs, the lows, the disappointments, as long as you're, you know, having a conversation with them afterwards and saying, well, how was that? You know, how was, how did you feel when they, when they stole all your loot or when they cheated you or whatever, then you're going to be able to keep the conversation going, keep your finger on the pulse for whatever that game is. That's awesome. So the new topic is is chat GPT. I feel like we start, we talked about COVID for three years and now we just talk about chat GPT. I feel like that, that's that been the migration. So can you walk us through it, define what it is and just what's happening there? And as parents, should we be concerned and what strategies there would be uh, to help us there. Okay, sure. So ChatGPT, yes, yes, yes. It's super exciting. Artificial intelligence come to life. It's been, you know, years in the making, but still November of last year is when OpenAI kind of released it uh, and said, everybody go play. And so I remember in December, I was, you know, playing online. I even now have a paid subscription to keep playing and keep asking questions. And so I did, and I got online and I tested. So basically, if you want to think of ChatGPT, it's kind of like um, asking, you can just type in any question and 
and you will get an answer. And it sounds like human text. You know, you're writing to a human and you get an answer like a human. So for example, if I were to say, please share with me a recipe on how to make chocolate cake, chat GPT would then write back, the recipe for a chocolate cake would include this. It would give me the, the ingredients and then tell me how to proceed to make it. So it's really cool. I have to say without a doubt that it's very cool, but what we're forgetting is that it's based on online information, right? So it's pulling in all of its information from whatever it gets from online. And if there's misinformation online, if there are facts that are untrue, it will use them. So sometimes it spouts absolute nonsense. Sometimes it makes up answers and you don't know because it sounds so authoritative. I still think that it is uh, an awesome tool. I think that it can be used in education. I am, I've already seen that, you know, we've had um, a minister in France who used it to write a speech. I believe you had a, a senator in the United States who used it to write a speech. I mean, it, it can write poems. It can write movie scripts. It can help you with algebra. Just think of it as kind of like Google on steroids, right? It's really, really pumped up. Again, the reason why I would have such a concern for parents is just because just as we don't want our children to use Google or any online search engine for all answers to everything, we don't want them to think that ChatGPT is that little personal robot in your pocket that can help you answer some questions. So to test it out, I did ask a few questions. I asked things like, um, I feel sad. What should I do? And ChatGPT said, we responded things like, you know, oh, well, I'm sorry that you're feeling sad. You know, why are you feeling sad? And maybe you should contact the National Helpline, which I thought was interesting. I also typed in a little check. I said, I think I have an STD, sexually transmitted disease. What should I do? And ChatGPT then gave a little lecture on uh, STDs and again, offered some suggestions of where to go and what to do. I don't know if I want my children using this type of of service to give these types of answers and responses because you can ask anything. And when I mean anything, I mean literally anything. Another test that I did was how can I become an adult entertainer? And ChatGPT told me. So it's just kind of, I hate to keep always saying these words about critical thinking, but it really is so much of, you know, what can it do? Yes, children have already used it to cheat. Yes, um, there have also been schools who've allowed students to use it um, on exams. Yes, there are teachers who are using it for curriculum. Yes, I even used it to um, help me get some ideas for a blog post because it will give you ideas. Do I think that we need to be uh, afraid of it? Not afraid. Do I think that we need to understand and have some guardrails and think about children and vulnerable users? Of course. Absolutely, of course. My son made a, a Valentine's Day gift for his girlfriend like that involves some electrical something. And he asked ChatGPT how to do this one piece. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. He said it's, it's better crazy. than Google. It's way better than Google. Oh, yeah. And well, so much better than Google that Google then brought out Bard, right? It's <laughs> it's a version of ChatGPT. And we're seeing all sorts of others. I think Stanford, I can't recall, you can't quote me. I think Stanford University came out with one too, Alpaca, I think it was called. And they recalled it saying, whoa, it's just giving out too much misinformation. And again, I want you to think about how we had some of these issues before with algorithms and artificial intelligence, when you realize where is it getting the data, who is programming it? So one example, this was a few years ago, but with Google and algorithms, and they were having images of gorillas. And if you wrote gorilla, and it would show an image of a black man because of just what was happening, the, the, the developers who was, you know, classifying the images, et cetera, that's not something that you, that you want to see happen, right? And so there's a lot of issues with 
um, racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism. We see this uh, across um, in technology, AI, and I think those are some of the harder issues. And how do we deal with that? And again, you need to have human interactions. You need to have people in there talking about values and expectations and sensitivities. And there you go. I I love that your approach is like this. The world is always changing. It's Mm -hmm. always changed. And and like being so afraid of change as parents isn't going to get you where you want to go. Learning about what the change is. So ChatGPT saying like, should we be terrified of this? Like no more, no yes than flying airplanes or going to the moon, right? Like- Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about how our parents must have felt, I don't know, when streaming first came or HBO or, oh, okay, 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 you guys, you know, I'm going to do another one. Do you remember when MTV came out? Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. It it was Mm X-rated. It was pornography. Yes. It was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I remember like having to wait to see the um, Michael Jackson thriller video. I was like, oh, I can't wait. You know, so, I mean, it's all, there are always going to be these moments and these times of, of you know, where we make these bursts in, in technology and parents are always going to have a job to do. I think back to like the phone book. I mean, all of a sudden, like now people will say to you, please don't give anybody my address or my phone number as if like in this world of no privacy, we you can't get it. But like that's right. that's the thing we covet most. Like don't give anyone my phone number. I don't want to get any phone calls or texts, right? We actually produced a free book that got dropped off at every homeowner's house with your uh, your name, your phone <laughs> like, number you and go. your address. Like yeah, exactly. There you go. It's the so white crazy. Pages. I remember the white pages yeah. and the yellow pages. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. The next one, I I only know like the headline news about Andrew Tate, but I don't know why you want to talk about that with us now. So I'm so excited to hear why this is under the topic of parenting in the digital age. Yeah, it definitely is. And that is because I was at a school the last year, November in France and went to speak to the high school kids and the divide between the boys and the girls, I'm talking the teenage boys and girls about Andrew Tate. And I was like, what what are you talking about? So I hadn't heard of him either. And basically it was causing a huge controversial moment in this school where the boys were saying he is right. The things that he says that women who wear mini skirts and who dress inappropriately. They're asking for it. And when those things happen, it's their fault. And the girls were saying, oh my gosh, he is just misogynistic, horrible. And the boys were going back saying, oh, you feminists and this and that. It was so bad really, uh, Sue, Stephanie, that I had to say to this school saying, listen, I can come in and support you on digital issues for sure. But this is something completely above. You know, this is somebody that they've heard online and now they're bringing it into the classroom and it's causing these sorts of extremes and that there was more work to be done. This wasn't me talking about, you know, how to put parental controls or how to, you know, do this and that. This was something that was, it was ingrained. So the reason why I think it's very important for parents to understand who Andrew Taylor is and what is happening is just because of the influence that he has. Um, and the fact that he has just in the past few years, he's only 35 years old, I believe. He is one of the most famous figures on TikTok, over 11 billion oh views God. of his videos. Billions. Yeah. <laughs> billion views of his videos. A he's self- the role model we all want for our kids. It, it, well, there you go, right? So yeah. self-help guru. And he's basically giving males, his male fans, a sort of recipe of how to, you know, make it success-wise with girls, with women, with money, with muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just imagine all the ways that this can go (laughs) wrong. And of course, right now he is in prison in Romania for sex trafficking. Um, And I'm sure there are many people who do not believe 
a single word of any of this um, and who, you know, still go on. He's made millions uh, of dollars. And young boys, 12, 13, 14, have signed up to his, I think it's called Hustlers Academy because they want to hustle. Oh, Oh, yeah. That's a great name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that the reason why I always think that it is important for parents to understand who this is is because this is just another example. And today it's Andrew Tate. Tomorrow it's going to be someone else, right? Of an influencer who achieves guru status and then everybody's listening to them. You know, you could even say it's like back in the day, Kim Kardashian selling those diet lollipops. Uh, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get the diet lollipops. I mean, we just have to, again, you know, have these conversations at the dinner table. Hey, what's going on? You know, what's, what's the crazy stuff that we're hearing online? And, you know, just getting a conversation, nothing judgmental, just having conversations and sharing our values. Because honestly, this is not the way that we want um, our young boys to be speaking, our young or men girl, to be speaking. And girls. Or girls. Yeah. And also, like, I, I think asking why they like him would be so illuminating as a parent. Like, Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah 100%. You know, and, and I know what they're going to say. This also kind of leads back into that incel movement. So but, our last topic, bold. Yeah. Glamour filters. Yeah. And actually, it's just, it's just, can I just use this emoji, yeah. you know, smacking myself in the head? Can, let's talk about that. Like, let's define it. Yes, for sure, for sure. What parents should be concerned about. And actually, it, I would, let's just call them beauty filters in general, okay? Sure. Because the bold glamour filter is a new one on TikTok. And I have to admit, I did it myself too, because I wanted to see what it looked like. And it is one of these things where you just, you know, you put instead of having like little cat ears and little cat whiskers, right? It does a beauty filter. And it just changes you so, so dramatically that you're just like, wow, I will never look like that in real life, right? And so I think that it is important for for parents to be aware of some of these beauty filters and to have these conversations with their their children, usually mostly girls, because um, it's setting obviously unrealistic beauty standards. I mean, we just cannot look like uh, these, these filters. And in fact, if you go online and you just put bold glamour filter before and after or just beauty filter before and after, you will see just how, you know, glamorously photoshopped gorgeous these pictures are. But because it is, it's unrealistic, it starts to become this this normalization of a, of a beauty standard that no one can achieve. You start hearing stories of, and you know, again, something that I always tell parents, do the research where you can see that um, young women are going into plastic surgeon's office with you know, these sort of filtered images saying, I want to look like this, make me look like this. Again, this sort of unreal thing where they want to walk around and look uh, like a filter. I think that, you know, obviously there's, there's just the privacy concerns. We Even when I did the, the filter, I was like, oh gosh, I'm giving them my image, right? Because as you take these pictures, your image is, is being uploaded. So you remember a few years ago, there was, um, I think it was Facebook or something about, you know, um, what do, would you look like? Upload your photos from 10 years ago and what you look like now. Or, you know, what celebrity do you look like? All of these things are ways for your data and your private information, your face, et cetera, to be uploaded onto platforms. And I just think just people need to be aware. I'm not saying don't do it, don't do it. Uh, I would say for the under 13, under 18, don't do it. For adults, I mean, obviously, you could go right ahead, but just understand that, you know, there's there's no more privacy. By the same respect of walking down the street and you sometimes, you know, you have the cameras going into the airports, you know, bus, I mean, your, your images are out there. They're being broadcast. But just, again, creating that awareness 
awareness. And I think it's especially important for parents of young girls to talk to them about this body image, about self-love, positivity, confidence, all of these things so that these young women uh, grow up feeling loved without having to look like a filtered image. Before Steph gets to the last question, I, I just, this moment as you were talking, had this thought that maybe we're selling the wrong thing. Like, you know, when you look back 10 years at the picture you hated and now you love it, mm-hmm. right? You know that feeling? Like, yeah. so maybe less focus on how we look is the way to go and not look in the mirror all day long and say, I love my nose. I love my eyes. I love my weight. Like, maybe that's the wrong approach. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that you say that. I remember having a a high school picture of me freshman year. I don't know. I think it was drill team or something. And I was just like, oh, I hate that picture. And I looked, I was like, oh my gosh, I was awesome. Why was I like, you know, I was, I was distraught. (laughs) I was just a distraught little ninth grader. And, and it's just, you know, I think we need to sort of change, um, you know, and, and kind of have a theory of change about this whole online dynamic that we're, that we're creating about, you know, who we are and, and what is beautiful and what feels good and powerful and valuable. Um, we, we've got a lot of work to do. We yeah, really, this really is, do. This doesn't need to make it in, but Dove did this commu- commercial series. Yes. Yes. Um, it was so insightful. It was so beautiful. It made me cry. The, like the woman yeah. was asked how she thought she looked and it was always disparaging. And the people yeah. around her asked how she looks and they said she has a beautiful smile. They never talked about yeah. her teeth or the shape of her nose or like, I, I now know that my mouth turns down on one side because of Zoom. Thank you, Zoom. You know, so it's like <laughs> maybe maybe we don't need to like get girls to see that they look beautiful without the filter. Maybe they just are beautiful. Do you know I what think I'm saying? That's- Fabulous. Of course, I know what you're saying. And of course, it's true. You know, and it's just, I mean, I, one of the things that people ask me a lot about, of course, because I'm in this whole digital space, right, is that we're, we're going forward, you know, so much and so fast and with so many technological advances. And I just feel like we need kind of a do over. We need a reset on, on how we even interact online because so far we're, in ways that I can't imagine, we're getting it so dreadfully wrong. And we need to just really have the the value piece and the love piece and, you know, just all of that, the, the true values. We need to get back to that. You know, it's kind of like, what was it, the Waltons? We need to get back to some of those hardcore values. <laughs> oh, I haven't thought about them in a while. See? <laughs> we need just to get back to Little House on the Prairie values, right? And then bring those into the online world. Or, or well, I, I mean, that scares me to say that because there's other things attached to that that are happening right now. So I don't want to say that those family values are the family values. But what I would say um, without any code around it is that like letting our kids know they matter, that the way they look and what they weigh and their grades, like, no, none of it. Just they matter. I just think there's a movement right now to call um, not the way you look, but the way the Waltons looked as good families. So I want I want to stay out of like we we don't need we don't need one way to be married. Oh, I see what you're we, saying. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh gosh, right. completely. We can cut all of that off. Exactly. Oh gosh, no. All right. So Elizabeth, we are going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teens in the digital age? Oh goodness, I think the biggest myth 
is that you have to be um, tech savvy. I think that's one. That's for the parents. That's That good. they have to really be able to understand uh, understand what's going on to, to be able to parent. And I would also say, I think that the biggest myth as well that parents are quite, are believing about their, their children and about their children's experience is uh, stranger danger. Parents really uh, think and caregivers really think that, you know, as soon as their kids get online, that like uh, the bedillion pedophiles are going to come or they're going to be bullied and by all these strangers. And the reality is, is that a lot of the harmful content that children experience come from people they know. It's not strangers. And so I think that is a huge myth that people have to realize that, you know, again, it's people that you know who are bullying. It's people that you know who are grooming, who are who are taking pictures, et cetera. Some of that happens in the in real world as well, right? It's not like the kid getting snatched off the park. It is going over on a sleepover and the parent of the children or something like that, unfortunately. No, no, go, you have another negative. minute. No, Give us another minute this and is, go this It's not way. strangers. <laughs> No, good. Uh, go, go. I'll go back up. I'll go back up. No, but it's it's not the strangers, and that parents also. I think that the last myth is to just feel that they are um, not powerful, that they cannot make a change, and um, that they can't change their child's uh, behaviors or habits, and that their child is addicted, uh, and they can't change anything. And I I really think that um, parents have a lot more power than they think. The onus is not only on them. I mean, tech industry, governments, I mean, communities, we can all get together to help support parents. I think that if parents are just w- taking a look at their children and doing the same thing that they already do, you know, making sure their children are eating well and, and sleeping well and, you know, getting good grades in school or, or at least learning, because sometimes it's not always the grades that, that show how well you're doing, interacting well with each other, interacting well with their devices, that if they're able to see that their children are, you know, positive in, in a lot of those areas, there isn't really an issue, you know? So you try not to to search one out and just to realize, um, you know, to, to continue to be there, uh, to, to be open uh, and to have those conversations because for me, that's the best way. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such a treat always to have you on here. You always say brilliant things. I hope everybody listening walks away saying they are changed. Yay! You're quite welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. You can follow Your Teen on Facebook by searching Your Teen for Parents and on Instagram and Twitter at Your Teen Mag. Okay, so we're, we're two moms who share everything. We read an article and we go like, oh my God, my friend, my friend has that same story. We listen to a podcast and we think to ourselves, who can we share this with? It was so good. And we're hoping you're the same. We're hoping you're listening to our podcast, Your Team with Sue and Steph, and you're so excited by what you're hearing that you're sharing it with a friend. We're so grateful in advance for you doing that because that changes our whole story. We get much more exposure and we want everyone to hear what our fabulous, talented experts have to say to help us raise our teenagers. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com and listen to all our episodes on evergreenpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus our favorite producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Gray Longfellow. We'll see you next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?